Hello, and welcome to Well Played, Sir, a podcast about board games and card games. I'm Mike, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Kane. Hello, hello. We are recording this on New Year's Day, so just post the holiday season. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you, sir. And a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you, too. How were your holidays? Excellent. I got a lot of good gaming off with... uh... Friends and family having some time off. Uh, got to see Star Wars twice. Fantastic. I also saw Star Wars twice, and it was incredible. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Um, so happy and excited about it. Uh, I know it's cool to hate the prequels, but we really hate the prequels. <laughs> and uh, it kind of put like a damper on all of Star Wars, they like, they weren't just bad movies, they just, they, they went out of their way to ruin the original movies and trample over all the things that the original movies did, and I don't know why they were so bad, but they were, and, uh, it kind of put a damper on all of Star Wars for me, which is weird, because it was such an important part of my life growing up as a kid, and, now I just feel like Star Wars is back. I feel like we just like pretend those never happened and just we have Star Wars again. We have new Star Wars movies and they're amazing and it's I gotta so say, exciting. Every day I turn on the TV now and every commercial has some kind of Star Wars integration. Every news article or ad has Star Wars integration. And gotta make I'm, that gotta make back that five billion they paid Georgie for uh, the rights to all this stuff. I gotta tell you, I'm totally cool with it. I never get sick of seeing Star Wars somewhere, especially when it's clever. Sometimes it can be a little obnoxious, but I'm still just excited to see Star Wars. And to your point, it feels like it's back. The prequels definitely left that sour taste in everyone's mouth. Yeah, it wasn't just because they were bad. It's because you could, It's because they like ruined the original ones. There were yeah. so many things that like are said in the original ones that just they made not true and. Ugh. They were trying to keep you on your toes with plot twists leading up to plot points you already knew, and I think that was one of their biggest mistakes of many mistakes they made. You know, we know that Vader's the father. Spoiler alert, 40 years later. We know Vader is Luke's dad, so you don't need to keep foreshadowing what's going on or hitting us in... George Lucas doesn't even understand foreshadow. He just uses a sledgehammer all the time. And it's not that he doesn't understand foreshadow. I don't think he understands Star Wars, as stupid as that is to say. It's like he really doesn't understand the things that make Star Wars great. Even he had like some backhanded compliments about this one. Like he's like, oh, I think the fans will really love this one. It's like, yeah, because we love Star Wars. So does J.J. Abrams and everyone else who made this movie. They love Star Wars. They don't. It's not about your like crazy artistic want to do everything yourself vision you know what was funny they honored him with the kennedy center honors this week yes it aired this week i don't know when the actual award thing was and i was like wow it's like the worst possible time to honor george lucas because it like really shows that he was everything wrong with the prequels and that like people could make much better star wars movies without him yeah, we don't need to have George Lucas there. And we already kind of knew that from Empire was written by Irvin Kirshner, as well as Jedi was written a lot by Irvin Kirshner as well, and neither one was directed by Lucas. 
even A New Hope is only half directed by Lucas. It was so overwhelming. They had other second directors on set because it was such a boondoggle could be the word going over budget and just everyone thought it was going to be obviously a failure at the time it was kind of a perfect storm it was uh it was still being edited the week it was released that's crazy um before we spend our entire hour talking about star wars which i know we easily could do let's just both agree that star wars was excellent and start talking about board games okay that seems like a great idea so you said you played a little bit of gaming for the Christmas break. What did you get in? Uh, I have a laundry list of games that I've played since the last time we spoke. Maybe the most noteworthy is I finally got to play Cult Express, the uh, Spiel des Jahres winner of 2015. That is kind of the most prestigious award in board gaming, which is weird because... Board gaming definitely needs better awards. Um, it is a German award, and to qualify for that award, you have to have been a game released in Germany that year. So a lot of great games don't even qualify for it, and they're usually geared towards younger, more family games. and The whole thing is just strange, but... Somehow the Spiel des Jahres is like the gold standard in in board game awards. And the winner this year was Colt Express. uh, And I finally got to play it, and it's great. (laughs) It's so much fun. It Um, looks like fun on the table. I love the little setup with the train that you make. Yeah, so it's got a 3D model of a train. Uh, It's all cardboard, but it's very cool. Um, and you, so you set that up. I think it's like six cars plus the engine. And the sheriff starts at the head of the train. And all the robbers, you, you all play different robbers, start in the back of the train. And there's loot scattered throughout the train, including the briefcase, which is in the front with the sheriff. And you're going to run and climb on top of the train and run on top of the cars and go from car to car if you're in the train. You're going to punch each other and shoot each other and pick up loot and drop loot. And uh, it it's all... It's just... It's so fun. And uh, the idea is to get the most loot. Every player has their own little unique superpower. And um, it's got a lot of cool little mechanisms like if the train goes in a tunnel, everybody plays their cards face down so you don't know what they're doing. And, That's cool. Um, but generally, it's like three or four rounds, and everybody's going to play one card apiece, but you don't resolve them until you finish all four cards. So you have to kind of remember, okay, so first I'm going to climb on the train, then I'm going to walk over two cars, then I'm going to climb back down, then I'm going to pick up loot. And it's, you know, you have to, it, you're kind of programming your guy but there are things that could screw you up because suppose you climb on top of the train and then somebody punches you and now you get moved over to the wrong car. And <laughs> so there's all kinds of things that can uh, happen and, and mess you up. But it's generally a very simple, family-friendly programming game uh, with a fun Western theme on it, and it really plays well. I think it was a good decision for the award. I was just happy when Machi Koru didn't win because that game is terrible. And... Um, yeah, that was probably the most notable game I played. How long does it play about? 40 minutes. Well, I, 
I've never played without the full complement of like six players. So it plays like 45 minutes. With less players, it's maybe like 30 minutes. Oh, that's not bad for a six-player game, though. <laughs> no, because you're just playing a card, and then the next person goes, and you play a card all the way around. And then once everybody played like three or four cards, then you just resolve them in order. And, uh, you know, it's like, okay, you shoot him, and then he punches this guy. And, you know, it's just fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's It looks as a good game, and I'll, I'll give it a whirl. Hopefully, one of these days, it is an award winner, so I'm sure that means it'll be massively printed and not be out of stock for a long time. Uh, it'd be it'd be even fun to uh, play at a convention, you know? It's it's light enough and easy enough to learn for one of those, like, late-night type uh, games. Yeah, the theme's cool. Not a lot of Western games out there, at least not that I've played, and I like setting your own programming, which makes it a great kids game because you have to think ahead. Right. You're not just living in the moment. You have to see the whole bigger picture. So definitely a great game to play with kids or adults, obviously. So I didn't play any award winners, but one of the games I did get to play is certainly going to win a bunch of awards in the future, and that is Pandemic Legacy. Uh Aha. Pandemic Legacy, as of today... January 1st, 2016, is now the number one game on BoardGameGeek. Amazing. We knew was going to happen. It wasn't a surprise as of now. Although before its release, I don't think anyone projected it to become the number one overall game on the website. A legitimate blockbuster release. And I understand completely why this has happened. We played a couple more months of our campaign and... The game just continually throws curveballs at you. Pandemic on its surface is pretty simple. You're either going to be removing cubes from the board to make sure that you don't run out of cubes or outbreaks, and you're going to slowly learn cures for these disease with trading cards. The game has a lot of quarterbacking issues because there are optimal moves when you when you usually play Pandemic. Pandemic Legacy gives you so many more options of what's going on within your narrative story. You get this little reference card, just like you've always gotten in Pandemic, and it would tell you the four or six things you can do every turn. Remove a cube, trade a card, all these things you could do. Pandemic Legacy gives you another card with eight slots on it where you affix stickers that give you all new actions every turn. So we're right now in, I believe, June of the calendar year, and I've got three or four brand new actions that were never in Pandemic before. So now when your turn comes up, there were legitimately moments where I didn't know what to do and it needed a lot of groupthink. It's not as instantaneous. Regular Pandemic has some decisions that are very cookie cutter. I need to do this, I'm just going to do this. Now you have all these other options that you can do. Some of the new abilities include quarantining, where you place a little cardboard token on a spot and now disease cubes can't be placed there. Instead, the quarantine just gets removed. So you're constantly going around the board putting these up to prevent outbreaks. Now we can put up roadblocks where diseases don't travel across those lines. But in order to cross the line, you need to give up cards from your hand that match the color of the city you're going to go into. So it's adding all these wrinkles to the game that aren't just throwaways. Everything has a reason. 
and the story that's told is amazing. And the game is so fun. I was talking to my campaign that I'm playing with, and we decided we'll probably play this again in the future. Maybe not right away. Maybe a year or two down the road, because it's not spoilers, at least so far, where Bruce Willis is dead at the end of Sixth Sense. Or Luke Skywalker's The Son of Darth Vader. From what I've seen, it's really just organic changes to the game that happen, and we're definitely going to see a lot of games mimicking this style after the release of Risk Legacy starting this windfall of change. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of people who are stamping their feet and holding their breath. Uh, they've lost. It's over. <laughs> um, we, you can't fight the wind. Change is coming. These kinds of quote-unquote consumable games um they're here and they're here to stay because they're very good i haven't played pandemic legacy but i have played time stories and i played risk legacy um risk legacy you know it sent shockwaves through the world and it got a lot of people designing uh fire going and even next year uh, there's that Chronicles game, there's Seafall. Uh, I know Pandemic Legacy Season 2 is not supposed to come out next year. I wouldn't be surprised if they rushed it for Christmas next year because this is such a massive, unexpected hit. I mean, I think they expected it to be a hit, but I don't think they expected it to be a hit like this. It's a phenomenal commercial success, and obviously it's a huge hit with everyone because it's not only the number one game on Board Game Geek, but I'm sure it's the fastest rising game in the history of Board Game Geek. Absolutely. You talked about the people stamping their feet. A couple of days or perhaps two weeks ago, a bunch of people decided to all go rate it a one on the same day to uh, try yeah, to people, tank the ratings. There was a massive effort to create fake accounts and rate it a one, and that kind of nonsense never works. I mean, it might have worked for a couple days, but it doesn't, it doesn't work overall. Um... There are a lot of people who are saying, oh, you know, these are just a ripoff and you have to throw the game away when you're done. And I'm sure most of those people have never even played either one of these games. Um, we've talked about it at length. If you get 18 hours out of Pandemic Legacy, I mean, how are you not getting your money's worth? Absolutely. <laughs> what are these people talking about? And I got to tell you, as I was playing through the campaign, the games don't go as quick as regular Pandemic because you have all these other options per turn. Whereas normal Pandemic, you can probably get through in 45 minutes. It was taking us closer to 75 minutes per game. And that's with experienced players. There are no newbies at the table. But when I say new, no newbies, there are still new rules constantly being thrown at us. Right, you're all newbies. That's the, yeah, that's the change it makes. And... I've seen new new roles come through that deck because as you're building through this legacy deck, as it's called, new cards are in there. Maybe they're new objectives, maybe they're new characters, or a mutation of a disease and all these little extra bits. I know that they keep saying when it's all over, you can't ever use your map ever again. I'm curious what's going to happen because as it stands now... I feel I could still play Pandemic on that board. I'm really curious to see what's going to happen that will make us not be able to play anymore. Actually, I've heard 
people talk that back now. I've heard a lot of people say that you can. Uh, Joel Eddy was talking at length about how they have pulled out the... You can just kind of reset it back to a certain point and use all the new module-type stuff in the Legacy game. Um... Even if you couldn't, even you know, I mean, we neither one of us have finished it yet. Let's just go with the argument that you can't ever play it again, dude. So what? <laughs> right. It's going to be a memorable experience, yeah. And that's really beyond consumable. We're talking about memorable games. That's what I mean. You play games to have great game experiences. Absolutely. A great, a great you know, experiences with your friends, and I don't know. It's the next evolution for a different kind of game. As you have these little game groups that meet every week, you develop these long-standing stories that you will remember the game you played. That one time in Resistance where I had no idea he was a spy or he was the Cylon in Battlestar. Or when you save the day by drawing that one card you needed at the right time. Or in Pandemic Sense, where it just hammers you into the ground because you didn't know that Tokyo was going to be the next card off the deck. There's definitely luck involved in the game. In all these games, that's games are luck as part of it. But still on the edge of your seat waiting for that one moment, that one hurrah when the whole crowd stands up when you're playing Legendary Marvel and you tell a whole story or when you're playing Pandemic Legacy and you know, you die a miserable death or one of your guys that you've played 10 games with their medic and then He's in the city of the outbreaks, and now he's gone forever. Dude, spoilers. No, I, the thing is, you don't know when or where that's going to happen. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, we haven't lost any characters yet, but we know that that is a possibility over It's like time. one of the first things they tell you, right? The real one? Yeah, it says, when you are in a city that outbreaks, your character will be given a little scar sticker. And maybe his hand limit is only six, or maybe he can't enter a city that already has two cubes in it because he's scared or any other litany of scars. And you choose them. They're not randomized. So you yeah. can make sure that it doesn't cripple your character where he's useless. Right. But in our first game, our medic was in a city that outbroke and then in another city that outbroke. So he had two scars in the first game. Oh my god. And it's the medic who in all pandemic is one of the most important roles and we haven't used him since <laughs> because if he goes in the middle of a game the player isn't eliminated you swap over to a generic no powers character and you right. just get four actions per turn you're not eliminated from the game but there's that fear factor of who do we need to bring who do we leave behind and I'm going to remember this uh, I might not remember a game of uh, Agricola or Kingsburg or Suburbia. I don't remember what my city looked like, but I'll tell you the time that we lost or the time that we won because of a great play or a great lucky die roll at the very last time. You know, ghost stories. Awesome. Stories. Consumable. Great. Yep, and... uh it's definitely changed things. I mean, this this is... 2015 is going to be... We thought 2014 was a great year, and it was. 2015 is a really special year in board game history. <laughs> uh, I feel like things are 
made a giant change. Not just the consumable games. I think other things are really changing too. The line between Ameritrash and Eurogame is really blurring. Social deduction games have taken huge steps forward. Spyfall, a lot of people would consider a 2015 release. We kind of consider a 2014 release because we played it in 2014. But Spyfall, Mysterium, Deception, these are big steps in the right direction. We're going to talk next week about our 2015 year review and give out some fake awards. But uh, back to your Pandemic Legacy consumable game theme. It's exciting. It's crazy. And, and things are definitely going to change. And there's, it's number one on Board Game Geek right now. And there's just no, you know, you can't fight the wind. It's, it's here. And it's, it's real. Yeah, things like that don't happen by accident. And we've talked in the past, the rankings aren't the be-all, end-all of everything. But you, if you get to the top of that list, you're special. Hell, if you're in the top three, four, five hundred games out of however many tens of thousands of games are on the page, it's a big deal. But when you get to number one in the span of three months or less of release, special is an understatement. Yeah, I mean, for, for comparison's sake, Imperial Assault has been flying up the list since it was released about this time last year. It's 11th. <laughs> Right. Yeah, and it's it's been flying up the list. And it's 11th. And now, in a matter of weeks, Pandemic Legacy is number one and by a wide margin. And I'm looking at Reddit r slash board games. Pandemic Legacy is number one by a huge margin. Because when people play it, they're all agreeing how amazing it is. Of course, the other game to make a huge splash in 2015 that has skyrocketed up the list is that famous Vlado Chavadal code names. We're we're gonna have to go it's gonna be a while before we go an entire episode without mentioning code names. Yeah, I don't want to talk too much about it, except that during the Christmas break, while with family, code names was a runaway hit. And I wasn't surprised, but it's always nice when you buy all these nice shiny board games and you actually get to play them with family that normally doesn't play games. Maybe I'm not going to throw Terra Mystica on the table, but Code Names, everybody loved it. Everyone gravitated towards it. We had 10 to 12 people all sitting around the table laughing, having a great time playing this game. And I don't know how much more can be said other than thanks to Vlado Chavadal. It's so amazing that you can just come in, you could come out, you could be 10, you could be 110, like, oh, amazing game. Yeah, and as much as it's fun to win and lose, I don't remember who won the most, who lost most, it doesn't matter. It's just fun to have that social engagement. So, I see that game having infinite replay value with, what is it, it's 400 cards or 200 cards that are double-sided, and you don't need anything else. I don't need a code names expansion. That game is awesome as is. I I'm would not... insta buy a code names expansion. <laughs> of course, but I don't even know if it's that. What else could you don't need to do? Anything. Oh, it's it's completely unnecessary. I would still insta buy it. 
Um, it's like more words. Sign me up. Have you played it three players? Uh, I'm sorry, three teams. I'd be curious to see how the variant works with three teams adding the neutral cards as the third team. It could be. I'm sure it would work. You might as well just divide the two teams though. Uh, you know, because I'm sure it wouldn't be balanced perfectly. I'm sure the team would be at some kind of a disadvantage. I'm not sure. I just was curious. Yeah, or they, it depends if you're going first. You have fewer words because uh, the game is set up. Whoever goes first has nine words to get. Whoever goes second has eight. So, and if you gave the other team the beige, they would have seven. So, so they'd go third and... Just, I wonder if it would work or if it would be too convoluted if you need those neutral names out there for balance. That game doesn't need anything. That game is awesome. I don't even need house rules. I don't need third teams or anything. We play a lot looser than you guys. You guys are really hardcore. We were letting pretty much anything slide because there was a lot of wine on that table. <laughs> and Why? Like, what kind of what kind of stuff do you allow? Uh, just more than one word, if it makes sense. Like someone said, Middle East, and no one cared. Or uh, you have to think of a clever way to say that in one word. It's part of the game. When you're playing for three hours and you've all drank a bottle of wine each, you're not thinking about that. So when I play with people who play it a lot, like you guys do, you need that extra layer of challenge because you guys play it quite often. For me, it was just a great way to get play a board game with my father-in-law and his brother and all of them just to make it a little more accessible and then over time you can start stripping the rules down alright guys let's stick to one word etc but I don't think there's a wrong way to play a party game it's a party game I just think if you just teach it correctly then there's no need to house rule it like that I don't view it as a house rule because that's the way I read the instructions there's the page in the back it talks about allowing as long as they're proper words, usually. I couldn't say, uh, you know, floor chair. That doesn't make sense. But when I said Middle East, or if someone wants to say a proper name like George Bush or something, we let it slide. So, but no matter what, it's still great. It doesn't matter how you want to play the game. The game is still awesome. And that's all that really matters. So, it is. so that it was fun to get to play that at the holidays. Uh, I got that on the table without a problem, and then some resistance, which uh, is always great. Even with new people, they tend to, at first, their eyes are kind of glazed when you first explain. Oh, you're going to go on a mission. You're going to pass a mission. They go, "What's the mission?" And you say, "It doesn't matter. <laughs> Trust me, it's going to be fine." So, after a round or two, and it starts to click that's when that game it becomes amazing when everyone starts to get it as long as you can get it on the table so what about you anything cool you get to play with the family uh I got Mysterium to the table with my family which was kind of a coup how did you pull that off uh, they never really even played a co-op game so it just kind of teased them with the amazing look of it and it is just so so pretty 
and just said, like, you know, this is different than anything you've ever done before, but I think you're really going to like it. And I was right. <laughs> they loved it. Did they play Dixit with you guys? Dixit didn't go over well, actually. It's a little more creativity needed. Everyone needs to come up with a word. And people had probably, they couldn't see the cards from where they were sitting, and, you know, old people. Well, yeah. <laughs> I had a feeling Mysterium would go, and it did. Also played with a lot of non-gamers at a friend's house, and Mysterium was a huge hit there. Uh, so was Cash and Guns. There was another game, too. Resistance was okay. It can be hard if people don't get it, or don't get into character, or aren't doing deduction. It's as a simple game, it can still be hard to get everyone really engaged. Yeah, no, we actually had great games of resistance, but the new people like were a little lost. Yeah, just I had a lot of great gaming experiences over the past couple weeks. Got German Railroads to the table. Loved it. Uh I think we already spoke about Seven Wonders Duel. Got that to the table some more. Loved that. Oh, the uh the new expansion for Dixit, Dixit Memories. Might be my favorite. Might be my favorite Dixit expansion, and that's saying a lot. Why is that? Just the art is just gorgeous. Yeah, I guess that's all it can be. There aren't new rules. It's just more artwork. Yeah, but it's so awesome. <laughs> as a matter of fact, I got Dixit as a Christmas present for somebody, and I got them the Memories expansion too. I haven't bought any expansions yet, but I probably will, because Dixit has gone over pretty well with my family and friends. Start with the new one, Memories. Uh, yeah. There's only one really to avoid. I think it's called Daydreams. And just all the cards are so samey. They all have this like muted yellow tone to them. I don't know. I don't like it at all. All the other ones are good. All the back of the artwork, are they all consistent? You don't notice any shading you or don't, any issues? You can't tell one set from another. That's good. You always worry about that. I've heard some complaints with the Pathfinder card game. I was just going to say that was like a huge scandal recently. The uh, Pathfinder, the newest expansion of the Pathfinder card game, uh, the backs don't match up and people are like ready to burn the set. That's awful. I know that happened. It's completely inexcusable. As someone who works in printing, it's completely inexcusable that a company can make a mistake like that. Absolutely. Sometimes... You can tell when the cards have a little more wear on them, and you can just see, oh, this one's a little more chippy. Obviously, I played it more, but you shouldn't see a completely different color. Yeah, but like, let's say you were a huge uh, Pathfinder card game fan, right? And you had all your cards sleeved in clear sleeves. Now, none of them have any wear. Yeah. And these new ones just are a different color, basically. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely not making it any excuse on their part. You, that's just unacceptable. When the new Thunderstone came out, a lot of people were upset. Not the newest one, it was the Thunderstone Advance a couple years ago, that the backs didn't exactly match. But I also know they changed some of the rules, so it made it more unique anyway. You didn't want to mix necessarily. But Dominion doesn't have that problem with any cards, right? They're all identical? I'm pretty sure. Like they've never um, had a scandal with different colored backs. Not that I'm aware of. Uh, I have the two newest legendary sets, the Secret Wars 1 and 2, uh, which Secret Wars 2, not as good. No. 
Um, they released them really close to each other. Was there a lot more story to tell there? The thing about it is the the heroes are really out there. Like, if you're not up to the most current Marvel comics, I mean, you don't know who the hell these people are. I certainly don't. Um, they are starting to run out of players. And some of them are super more. weak, too. No, they've, like, intentionally skipped over huge ones. There's no Luke Cage. There's no... Um, I'm trying to think of another, like, huge one that they skipped over. Well, that'll change when the TV show comes out. I know, but it's just... They're just literally in this set is a version of Captain America who runs around with a T-Rex. What? Yeah, I don't know. It has something to do with the Secret Wars thing. Yeah. I mean... The game's still fun. I'm, I'm super happy that I have Legendary and Dark City expansion, and I think I'm good there for now. It's tons of variability. The Dark City expansion doubled the size of the game. Still my favorite expansion for Legendary. Uh, it's exceptional, and just those, just having you having those two sets is probably all you'll ever need because you won't play it solo, and you're never going to play it enough to run out of stuff, and that's it. Right. So I'm not as worried for my sake, but it's just, it's weird. But it's their cash cow. People love it. It's a good game, and they're going to keep releasing sets until they kill it. I've heard the Alien and Predator sets are supposed to be really good, too. I've played the Alien game. It's awesome, but I never felt the need to own it because it's more... It's much more of a multiplayer game than the Legendary one, whereas I feel like the Legendary plays just as well with 1, 2, or 3, and it's the same exact game kind of thing. I don't even know how you'd play the Legendary. I'm sure there are rules for it. I don't even know how you'd play the Alien one solo. It's much more of a a, a collective experience. Which is nice. One of my... No, it's, it's, really... it's awesome, because there are these, uh, like, chest burster cards. Right, that you have to help pop people up with. in any deck. Oh. So, you could be doing something good, and just like, oh, shit. You know, chest burster, pop that on my chest, you know. Um, right, and you go bad, and then you play on the alien side of the game. Yeah. Um, cool. The Predator one I haven't played. Uh, oh, so just back to my thought. like, if So if I have a group together, and we want to play Legendary, I'd rather play the Marvel one. <laughs> you know? So that's why I never bought the Alien one. I heard the Predator one's very good, too. I haven't had a chance to play that. Um... The same friend who owns the Alien one owns the Predator one. I just haven't got a chance to play it yet. So. Yeah, I hear the integration works nicely as well. That's so cool that they did that. Right, because ultimately, the games all do the same stuff. Maybe slightly different terminology between, but the concept is you could add uh, them together. Like the villains and the legendary. All yeah, the cards are the uh, same. But the Alien and Predator ones are much different from the Marvel ones. I actually thought they'd be more similar than they are. Really, it's it's a lot of uh, it's 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 considerably different. Interesting. I definitely want to get them to the table. Maybe I'll wait for convention time because I doubt if you have a, pick it up. And if if you 
are a fan of the Alien movies, uh, that game is great. <laughs> it's really, you know, you can play through different modes. Like, you can play through, like, the Alien 1 movie or the Alien 2 movie or the Alien 3 movie. If there weren't 400 Marvel Legendary expansions, you may have instead invested the money in just other legendary games. Right, right, right. But now you've got, what, 7,000 heroes and then 4,000 villains and... Uh, approximately, yeah. That's I think it's exactly right. Actually, yeah, I'm pretty close. I did a lot of counting beforehand to prep for this week. So, yeah, no, it is. It's just a stupid amount of legendary I have now, and storage is actually a problem because um, I have everything sleeved. So even the two biggest boxes, the original box, the inserts long gone. It's just a giant empty box. Yes, and the villains box. Uh, are actually not enough to hold everything, I don't think. So, Briefcase coming. Yeah, it's it's a problem. It is. I still love that game, though. Absolutely. There's a reason you own it all, because you love it. Otherwise, you would not own it all. You know, I get to play that. Now that I've taught the wife how to play a deck builder, which I was very excited about, we finally played Paperback together. Nice. Yeah, so kudos on you for picking that up at BGG and then being kind enough to give it to me so that I could get it to the table with the wife. I had a sneaking suspicion she'd love it and you guys would be able to play together. Well, you uh, were correct, and I think that it went over very well. Had I tried to ever teach her to play a deck builder, it may have been difficult because it's not her type of thing. If we were going to play Terra or any social deduction games, things of that nature, she would love it. But I knew that as a writer, she may like paperback. And about halfway through the game, I just saw everything click in place, and she started cranking out great scoring words and learning how to use the powers and learning how to buy the points cards. At the end of the game, I ended up winning because I had a little more experience than the two players. But had we played another game right after that, I'm pretty confident that she would have probably crushed me. <laughs> so, but regardless, it was just nice to play a real game together, and hopefully that opens up to play some of the other deck builders, or even just playing that one. It's nice to have a game to play together. So, Paperback was a good choice. So, good job by you knowing all the board games. I know all the board games. I know everything. No. Um, yeah, you just you remind me of a story when you mentioned Terra. I have a great Terra story. Oh. Uh, so I was in second, but it was by a lot. Like third was a distant third. So it came down to my friend's sister and myself. And we're on the last question, and I knew it. It was... I don't know if I should spoil the question. I mean, there are like 300 questions in the game, and you only ever use six at a time. So okay, I, feel we'll like I, the... could, I feel like I could spoil it, but you don't whatever need to. it was, I, I knew, the, I knew the, the answer, okay? And I was reasonably confident. But I was trying not to give away both how confident I was and what the answer was. Because the other people were guessing and guessing incorrectly. And so I was trying to really time it so that I could maximize my points without giving points to anybody else. Right. And uh, 
so the answer was in Australia. And so I put a cube in the middle of Australia, sort of making it look like I was just guessing the general vicinity of the whole continent. <laughs> and a lot of people were guessing Africa. And then I guessed another part of Australia, and that kind of tipped my hand. And uh, she put a cube in Australia, which kind of nullified my uh. advantage because she was adjacent to the right answer. And uh, I had the timeline right in my head, but I, from from my brain to my fingers, <laughs> I didn't put the cube where I should have put the cube. Um, it was it was a discovery of something, and you have to guess when this happened. And people were all guessing in like ancient times, and I knew that it this thing was discovered because of Google Earth and so I was going to guess you know 2010 or later and I somehow I put the cube in the wrong place and then I should have backed it up with uh, my last cube to you know bring us to present day right and uh, so I went up losing but it was uh, uh, it was just one of those moments where you're like, oh my god, I'm gonna win this game. I'm gonna come back from the. She's a history teacher, so she was like smashing us in that <laughs> game. But uh, uh, it was one of those things where I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna win. And then she puts the cube next to mine. I'm like, oh my god, I'm not gonna win. <laughs> and then the the answer gets revealed, and you're like, oh, I knew that. I knew it. I should have won. Uh. There are so few cards in that deck from all the games we played where I actually knew the thing. For example, you know, Empire State Building. I should know that one, yeah. uh, since I see it every day at work. But there are so many that are so obscure, you just have to use logical guessing. Or just watch a lot of Top Gear, where they give you all the answers. So, <laughs> I'm definitely going to pick that up. That's going to go in my cart. I had a Cool Stuff cart filled up with Blood Rage, which I'm finally going to get. And I was going to buy... Deception Murder in Hong Kong and it is now sold out so I'll have to wait until it's back in stock because I really want to play that game a bit more yeah I apologize for not giving you a heads up on Deception because I bought three copies you're uh, the reason it's sold out you I'm the reason it's sold out I uh, no I mean I got them as Christmas presents I'm not like hoarding them but uh, <laughs> wait for that market to come back up no I didn't think it would sell out on cool stuff because it's Gray Fox and Gray Fox is there publishing company. That's cool stuff. I did not know that. Yeah, so I didn't think it would ever sell out for them, because they'll just... You know, I thought they'd be printing a ton of them. Um, so have you gotten that to the table since you picked it up? Yes. How and did it, it go over? Smash it. Um, the killer is actually getting away with it way more than at the convention. Why is that? What Did you guys change anything? Are you using five cards I, per player? It's or? not as big a group. I think that's the key. We really? had so many guesses. That's true. That it was really hard to hide. Yeah. Uh, I also, I wasn't present for this game, but I, I heard a friend of ours uh, played the forensic scientist and was notably terrible at it. Oh, God. Like, when I asked how the gaming event was that I didn't get to go to, the first thing my friend said was, we played Deception, and so-and-so was terrible at it. <laughs> and I was like, really? And then they started telling me the stories of, like, the murder weapon was a whip, 
and he chose suffocation. Oh my god. So they were like way off the entire time. How, and then, well, how was he using that whip? <laughs> it was it was amazing. And then uh, there was another one too. I can't remember the example. And I was like, geez. Like he's a, I know he's a really smart guy. If you knew his job, you'd be like, well, he's got an IQ well in the stratosphere. And he's, but he was apparently really terrible at getting other people to read his mind in Deception. Sometimes you get overly cute or clever, and you can't do that in those games. Same thing with code names. Don't be clever, be smart. And. Uh, I'm excited to play it more. I'm excited to hear that the murderer is winning a little more often, which is a weird sentence. I'm glad the murderer is getting away with it. Thank goodness the murderer keeps getting away with murder. Yeah, because that game would be real boring if they weren't. It really we... wasn't. Even no. Catch the murderer. That game was so much fun. It is. I just didn't know if you changed anything or if it's just fewer players. How I many players were you player playing? Count uh, I mean, less than what we had at BGGCon. We had, had like between 10 or 11. 10, yeah, so. yeah, that is way too many. So. But I'm excited. Once it's back in stock, I'll pick that up again, because I think that'll go over well, because social deduction games typically do well in my group. So. Yeah. I almost printed and played Secret Hitler. Speaking the of... The new game from the Cards Against Humanity people? Yes. Of course, it would be a game about Hitler, but it's okay. In this game, Hitler is just a giant lizard, so nothing. As to you would expect. Clearly, definitely have taken over by the lizard people, like a Doctor Who episode. I read all the rules, and I'm super excited to finally play it. But we just didn't get to yet. I am wary. There is player elimination, so. How long does it play? I think it's going to be like twenty to thirty minutes. But player elimination happens late in the game because every turn the president's going to draw these three cards, as I'm sure you're aware, and they say either liberal or fascist on it. They discard one face down and they hand the two cards to the chancellor. And the chancellor picks one of the two and then passes it into law. And you actually take this card and put it on a player board in front of you. And this player board is for the liberals or the fascists. And after you play a certain amount of cards, depending on the player count, different slots have powers, such as look at the card next to you, or assassinate a player. If you assassinate Hitler, you automatically win anyway. But you could assassinate other players to try to gain majority for your team. It's interesting because sometimes, even when you're a liberal player, you may want to pass a fascist policy so that you gain that presidential power. So there's a push-pull mechanic of sometimes you want those just to put yourself in power. Also, interestingly enough, Scott, uh, my brother-in-law, told me that's kind of the way German politics works. The president comes out with a couple of proposals, and then the chancellor enacts them. So it's kind of true to form. And I can't confirm or deny if Hitler was a lizard or not, but I think that the game's going to go over really well as both of our groups like the social deduction aspects. And it's a game where you're going to get a little more information because you get some powers and you'll have looked at your cards and known what the person you gave the cards to is playing. So it's a lot more accusing straight up. I know I gave you a liberal and a fascist card and you picked the wrong one. 
And they can say, no, you just gave me two fascists. What are you talking about? So definitely good job by them after making the much beloved Cards Against Humanity. Maybe not amongst us, but for the greater stratosphere of gamers, it's loved, it sells a ton of copies, and I'm excited to play a game by them that I'm actually wanting to play. I usually love Cards Against Humanity for about a half hour. And I find that it usually gets played for about two hours. That's the problem. It just goes on far too long. It should be filler. It should be quick. And it's not. There are better games that do what that does. And it's more fun. I mean, I've had some amazing belly laughs with that game. Just, like, laughing so, so friggin' hard. Absolutely. But, well, you, you know, a good group, but... After a while, you're just like, can we do something else now? I mean... We've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, you need to put a cap on it, either a timer or rounds. Like, all right, guys, we're going to play 15 rounds. Whoever has the most points at the end wins, and then that's it. Because when you just keep playing, and then more people want to sit down at the table. We were playing one day in my brother-in-law's backyard, and we had, oh, like 10, 12 people playing. And it's also hard just going through all the answers and picking a favorite one. Or communicating with the whole table at one time. That's difficult to do because everyone's kind of playing their own game. I'd rather something we're actually playing together. One Night Werewolf went over really well with them because it was quick, active, had a big group. But, yeah, Secret Hitler, definitely worth checking out, and I'm going to cut out my print and play, and I'll actually have a full report on that in a couple weeks when I finally get to play it. Thanks. Definitely. So, what else did you uh, get out there? I I got to play a lot of games, honestly. Uh, Lanterns is kind of a new hot game. Uh, it's a tile-laying game, but it's not very Carcassonne-ish. It's actually a lot lighter in terms of where you can place a tile. Like, it's much freer with a lot less right. restrictions. But it's also kind of set collection-y. So you want to accumulate these different color lanterns so that you can turn them in for points. But it's got that diminishing returns thing, like Japur. So, like, the first person to get five of a kind gets this many points. The next person to get five of a kind gets fewer points. Um, which is really, really interesting and really good. Uh, I liked it particularly with two players. Um because the supplies can run out. So there are times when it's like, I'll give myself an orange lantern and I'll give you a white lantern. But if there are no more white lanterns in the supply, just I gave you nothing. Right. Uh, but I don't think that happens much with the higher player counts. So it makes it kind of a light game, even lighter. And it just, you know, you kind of lose me there. Like it's just, it's too light then. And it's kind of just like, let's see what happens. It's it's yeah, overly randomized. It's just a lot more points. Not yeah, not not nearly as strategic, not nearly as much control over what's going on. So, um, but I would recommend it if you like light games and you like tiling games, or if you're looking for something to play with too. You think it's a good uh, gateway game, maybe starter up with a family. I mean, I feel like Carcassonne is already a. A gateway tile laying game. I don't know if you. I don't know. I don't think this is better than Carcassonne. So, it might just be easier to play Carcassonne. 
at some point forces your hand. This tile can only go here. Yeah. And that can be a bummer. I've only played it on the app. I've actually never played the full actual version of it. But I know there were times I would draw a tile and I had one option. So it wasn't much game playing in so much as I'm just placing the tile you handed me. But you only played with the base set. Yeah, the, I know the expansion. When you buy the game now, uh, it comes with the river expansion, which kind of opens the whole thing up a lot more. Uh, you just have a lot more options. It's definitely a good game. I just haven't put a lot of time into it. But I should, because it's one of those everyone should own this game type things. And as a board gamer, I should probably have it in my collection. Eh, it happens. Uh, speaking of classics, I played Battle Line, which is a famous Reiner Knizia game. I've never even heard of this one. All right, so you set up like nine totems, like nine little pawns, mm-hmm. and you've got a deck of, I think, 60 cards, one through ten in six different colors, and you're going to be putting out poker hands next to each pawn, and you want to win at least five of the pawn, five of the nine pawns, or three pawns in a row, in which case you will break the line uh, and win. And there's a couple more things going on. There are like special power cards, but if you play a special power card, you can't play another one until I play at least one. You can never be two ahead in the special powers. So there could be some games where like we each have five special powers because we just kept going back and forth. Or there could be one where you played a special power in your first turn, and I never played one. So this, that was the end of the special powers. That's cool. Uh, it is cool, actually. I really liked it a lot. Um, I'm a big poker guy anyway. I heard that about you. Yeah. So you're making, like, three-card poker hands, so, like, seven, eight, nine, or, you know, three, three, three fours or something. Um... And it's really, as soon as I played, I wanted to play it again. So. Right, it looks like it plays pretty quickly once you know how to play. So, it appears there's an app version of it, which may be a better suited game for me, because I don't get to play a lot of twos. But I would like to play this, so for $3 to try it out, that seems reasonable. And then another game that's just back in print uh, was Kittens in a Blender. We also played with the new more kittens in a blender. <laughs> uh, Where they so, add more colors, or no? I think it's just more everything. <laughs> so each player gets their own color, and you're responsible for that color of cat. On your turn, you're either going to place cards in the box where they're safe, on the counter where they're sort of in purgatory, or in the blender. <laughs> and of course, you could always play a card that turns the blender on eliminating those cats and rescuing the ones in the box. Or you can move cats from here to there. You can say move two cats, two spaces, or you know, move all the cats out of the blender or move all the cats from the counter into the blender. It's all kinds of those kinds of things. And it's funny, silly, random. All the cats have like adorable kitten pictures on them where they stare up at you with their big eyes. and um, And then you blend them. It was actually it was actually a lot of fun. It was actually a better game than I thought it would be. I got killed in it, but uh, and so did my cats. 
<laughs> but uh, so you won. I still had a lot of fun. It'd be interesting to play the inverse of it, where you're trying to blend all of your cats and you win when you get all your cats dead. <laughs> for Jesus, the Mike, for the terrible cat haters out there. And if if my wife listens to this, I'll be getting a divorce notice in the mail when she hears that I was going to blend the kittens. Not our cats, even when they are dicks. <laughs> but that that's cats. That's what they do. But that sounds like fun. I would definitely give that a whirl. It's just light, silly fun. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. Not every game needs to be Agricola or Power Grid. It's all about having fun. Not every game can be Insta Classic, and some games are terrible. That's so, yeah. The other, I got to play uh, some other new stuff, which I'm excited about. I know I spoke a bit about code names because we have to do that. We're like contractually obligated. But I got to play Forbidden Desert, another Matt Leacock game. My boy, Matt Leacock, makes some great co-op. Uh, I almost regret not having played Thunderbirds just to play another Matt Leacock since apparently I have a favorite designer now. You know what's funny? I was looking up 2015 as a year for the other podcast that we're going to record, and we kind of hyped the uh, the best of 2015 and the awards and stuff. Yes. That Thunderbirds game has like 300 ratings on Board Game Geek. Like, no one has played or seen this game. Yeah, it's really small so far. It disappeared off the face of the earth. It seems like a good idea for a co-op game, but maybe it's 30 years too late. Because who really remembers what the Thunderbirds were? There was before our time, really. I only knew because I'm in those circles of watching old nerdy stuff. My father loved the Thunderbirds, but... It was back in the 70s, a long time ago. But in any case, what I got to play was Forbidden Desert, which was the sequel to Forbidden Island. And aside from the metal tin, which is the worst idea for a box ever, the game inside is really a lot of fun. It's uh, a sandstorm is moving across the board, and you're trying to move around, cleaning up the sand, trying to locate the pieces for your ship so you can fly away. And what I like in the game is it has a little bit of resource management because if you run out of sand, you lose the sand tiles. If the sun beats down too often, you have to drink water every turn and you can't get the water back. There are a couple of oasises on the board, but only two. And once they're used, they're gone. So you need to get there as a team, use the tile once altogether and then you'll get water back. So it can be stressful as you're running around the board, hiding some places, looking for the pieces of the ship. I also liked how the pieces are hidden. It's a 5x5 five five grid, and rather than a tile just saying, oh, the propeller is here, the engine is here, there are actually two tiles for every ship piece, and they tell you the vertical position and the horizontal position. So you need to find them both, and once you find both of them, you'll put the piece wherever they intersect. Like, oh, it's in the third column, and then you find out, oh, it's in the fourth row, and that's where the piece is going to go. So it's a lot of variability, and you have to look around. It's not, oh, always this tile has this piece. You can't tell. So we had fun. We played it at two players. Plays pretty quickly. 
you know, maybe 25 minutes. We lost three games in a row, which is a good sign. That's one that I feel like I've played because I watched it on uh, Tabletop with Will Wheaton. Yes. But I never actually played it. Right, you feel like you were right there with him. Yeah, I feel like I played it. I know how it works. I just never actually played it. I'd gotten Forbidden Island for my sister a bunch of years ago because she seemed to like the games I was bringing over. And she was a little younger. And it went over pretty well. But that's definitely too easy. Yeah, that's like Pandemic Light, right? Whereas this is kind of its own game. Yeah. Yeah, actually, Forbidden Desert and Forbidden Island are extremely similar. If you saw them side-by-side on tables, you'd say, oh, these are obviously related. Right, but I think mechanically, right? Like, isn't Forbidden Island much more similar to Pandemic than... Uh... There are cards involved. I honest, I can't recall. Maybe with set collection, you had to get a certain amount of one token, and then you can go get the token off the board. It's like, oh, I need all the red cards so that I can turn them in to get the red token. It may be. It may be a little more pandemic-y. This is a little more resource managing. It's It takes some of the same ideas. You're trying to secure all of these jewels. In that case, it was jewels and, and totems. In this case, it's airplane parts that fly away. Everyone gets their own powers and abilities. I like the way the storm moves on the board. It's It was a good, light but challenging co-op. And I'll definitely keep playing it because Matt Leacock is my boy, apparently. He doesn't mm-hmm. know it yet, but he is. So I got to play that, and I finally got to play the WWE Showdown game. Oh, the one you got for free at uh, BGGCom? Yeah. It's nice to actually open up one of those free games and play it. It's the first of the big box games that I've actually gotten to the table that we got for free. We we got some of those smaller games, you know, uh, uh, Rail Yard Express or Yardmaster Express. Uh, and Dead Drop. Dead Drop and stuff. But this was an actual full game. And we had a lot of fun with it. It was light, but... I don't know how to... It was clever. It was all rock, paper, scissors style. Right. I think you've played it as well. I have. Yeah, it's, it's pretty clever. You got... You put down the three cards in front of you, and you're matching up basically a strike, a grapple, and a maneuver, and it's rock, paper, scissors. One beats the other, loses to another one. And then there's your super moves, your finishers, your slam cards, which always win. And you just match up your cards... You execute on each card is how far you can move, how much damage it'll do, maybe if you can throw your opponent. And it was a fun little fighting game, a little different in the collection. It was nice to have a change of pace game. I've never played the BattleCon or any of those other... uh, What's the other one with the jewels? I can't remember. There's a couple of fighting games like that. Yomi and stuff? Yeah, which I've never gotten to play. But as a moderate fan of WWE, it was fun. The the first thing I said when I played was like, this game needs a lot of expansions. And I actually spoke to the Gale Force 9 guys, who, by the way, were the coolest freaking guys who I met at the con this year. Uh, hung out with them for like 20 minutes, and it was like all the guys. It was like the guy who runs the company, the guy who designs all the games. It was like... All the guys who make up Gale Force 9, of course I remember none of their names. But <laughs> uh, 
I was talking to them about like expansions for that game that it would involve like old school guys, like the guys we grew up with. And uh, he said he thought it would be really difficult to get WWE, I always call it WWF, to uh, sign off on that. But, uh, or that, you know, like that they were trying to do it, but it was hard, something along those lines. Right, because I think WWE needed to approve any character they put oh, in. Oh, I'm sure that they do. But I think that WWE, uh, for their own, you know, selfish purposes, I'm sure they want to promote the guys who are new and the guys who are selling T-shirts and the guys who are selling tickets. Versus of course. Like a Macho Man, Randy Savage, and, a, you know, who's dead. And, you know, we might love that, but, you know, in terms of what's going to be best. Actually sell. Right. Well, no, I think, see, that's where I don't agree, because I think the Macho Man Randy Savage expansion would sell better than one with a couple of, like, B-team current guys. But I think in terms of, like, them promoting their own product, they would rather it be full of a bunch of guys who are on the show now. So, Right, the tie-in. I'm sure that's the struggle that, you know. But I was talking to those guys. They're super excited about the Star Trek game they have coming out next year. Um, and they're releasing a Doctor Who game. Yeah, they are. And that gets me excited because Doctor Who is one of my favorite properties. And Gale Force 9 has just done a great job. Historically, licensed games are terrible, and I believe we talked about this in the past. But Gale Force 9 has not only done an admiral job, some of these games are just really good. Yeah. And And kind of universally liked by their respective fan bases. Like, I've never seen the Homeland show, but I gather that it's a really good game, especially if you like Homeland. The Sons of Anarchy game, I haven't played it, but I opened it up, and it really felt like Sons of Anarchy. I was sending pictures of the game to somebody who watched the show and doesn't play board games at all, and they were like, that's really cool, you know? Um, The Firefly game just feels like Firefly. Yeah, they really capture the essence of the things as if... They really do. They actually love the property and want to do it correctly, and not just, oh, here's a game, here's a show, make a game out of it. And you're just playing the Monopoly version of Firefly. And so many tie-ins are just cheap rip-offs of other games, and Gale Force 9 really seems to create a unique game over in uh, for every property, where it's Homeland, Sons of Anarchy, Firefly, WWE, and hopefully, hopefully Doctor Who. If it actually has a time machine built into it, that's the only thing that could be cooler than anything else. So before I forget, you want to hear a great joke? Sure. I saw this uh, a couple weeks ago. So Star Trek fans are called Trekkies, and Doctor Who fans are called Whovians, apparently. Yes. And Lord of the Ring fans are called Ringers, apparently. I also never heard that one. That one I'd never heard. And then so the person said, how come Star Wars fans don't have their own name like that? What, what do we call Star Wars fans? And the person responded back, they do. It's called the human race. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's that's they don't need a special name. Everyone loves Star Wars. Except my father. Weirdly enough. Well, it's yeah, not on. It's not on broadcast TV. It's not on two, four, five, seven. It doesn't exist. He's never seen them. 
And he went to the first one in theaters and fell asleep. How, how do you do that? That's really strange. Actually, uh, my brother-in-law's uh, girlfriend had never seen them either. And we bought our IMAX tickets and we asked them if they wanted to go. And she replied, well, I guess I'll have to do some catching up. And I was a little disappointed, as one you know, who hasn't seen Star Wars. But they did the job. They went and watched 4, 5, and 6, the only ones that mattered. And after the film, I asked, what did you think? Especially now, you, you didn't grow up with these. So it's a different feeling. These are part of my DNA. Yeah. Star Wars was my life and still is. It's the reason I married my wife is we have a mutual love of all these things and Star Wars is number one on both of our lists uh, 1A is each other but one is Star Wars and she had loved them as well and it's always nice when you can share that because we grew up with these things like if you watch the Goonies now as a 30 year old you're like what is this crap <laughs> but as 10, 11 this is amazing this is the coolest thing ever and sometimes things don't age well if you didn't grow up with it so, Star Wars can feel dated, maybe, to some people. And, and so they, what did she say? She loved it. She was super excited. She loved the movies. She loved the new movie. I won't talk about spoilers for anybody who's listening, uh, because it's still in the stratosphere. So disappointed. People were ruining this movie on everywhere. Any website you went to where there was a comment board, people were posting spoilers. So I'm glad that you were able to see it spoiler-free, as was I and my wife. Our friend Rich, however, was reading a news article about the presidential election, and the top comment was blank, 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 Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. And he just threw his hands up in disbelief. He'd done so good at avoiding every spoiler. It's all we talked about was signing off social media. And on a random news article, number one comment was about Star Wars. I felt so terrible. I'll teach him to care about our American political system. <laughs> That's the rule. Just don't vote. I think what the Star Wars fans should have done was just start releasing tons and tons of fake spoilers in the stratosphere to just murky the water so much that you don't know what's real and what's not. Maybe. Smart. Just, yeah, making just tons of things up. You know? Like Jar Jar Binks was actually Darth Vader or things of that Dude. nature. I'm, like, quasi-obsessed with that Jar Jar Binks is a Sith theory. Have you uh, actually devoted any time to that? No, I'm trying to refuse doing so. Dude, it's so good. Like, there are parts of that movie where Jar Jar is mouthing other people's dialogue. And it's like, why would they do that? He's an animated character. Don't do this to me. Because then I'm going to fall down a Reddit hole, and there goes the rest dude, of my I'm night. I'm telling you, there's like, there's like four or five, there's like a hundred YouTube videos, but there are like four or five really good ones, and I'm like, this really might have been the plan. Like, it's crazy. And if it is, and they change the direction, then more fool on them. Then, then the prequels are even worse than they are, <laughs> because they apparently had a really good idea and changed direction. The guy who voice acted Jar Jar Binks quasi-confirmed it on his Twitter. He was like, oh, it's nice to see this is finally coming out or something like that. Really? Yeah! I'm telling you, this theory is like, it blew my mind. 
No. Yes, I'm telling you. Don't ru don't ruin don't. No. no. It makes it like less ruined. It's like it, it makes two and three even worse, which I still say Phantom Menace is the best of the prequels. I don't care what anybody says. Because it does the least damage to the real trilogy. It's just like fun pod racing adventure and and Darth Maul is cool and spins around a lot. It doesn't do any damage <laughs> to the actual trilogy. Whereas like two and three just do massive damage to the real trilogy. And they're so hard to sit through all that fake romance nonsense. But the if this was the real idea the, the, that Jar Jar Binks was going to secretly be a Sith, then the, the the fact that they changed directions makes two and three even worse. Oh man, don't! I'm, I'm just gonna. I, th I think I think I should go. I think I think I think my brain hurts. I, I don't I don't think this can be a thing. In the words of Darth Vader. No. All right, Mike. We started on Star Wars. We ended on Star Wars. Let's get out of here. You're right, Kane. Before we go, let's plug the usual sites. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com/wellplayedsirpodcast. You can email us at wellplayedsirpodcast at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Well played, sir. Well played, sir. <laughs>